This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. This week, we're going to focus on the Dodgers, and I have to admit I've stacked the deck just a little bit because both of our guests are friends of mine. We'll get to Jay Jaffe from Sports Illustrated in just a minute, but first we have Molly Knight, author of the great new Dodgers book, The Best Team Money Can Buy, about how the Dodgers rebounded from the McCourt bankruptcy to the obscene Guggenheim riches, and uh, now to first place. Molly, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Molly, uh, just from following your Twitter feed, it sounds like this has been probably the most insane week of your life. I saw you got to do a podcast with Freddie Prince Jr. I saw you almost got bumped this morning due to a car chase on KTLA. Yes. Are, are, yes. Are, are you still breathing through all this? Yeah, I mean, I, I showed up at KTLA, and, and it was like 7.30, and the first person I see in the green room is the rapper exhibit <laughs> of uh, my rides and other various uh, hot jams uh, fame. And I thought, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good day regardless of what happens. So, yeah, it was exhibit, and then the car chase, and then me. Well, <laughs> That's how the day started. So I have to ask: Is everybody who asks you interviews about this book is the very first thing they want to talk about? Yes, Neil Puig. Is that the only thing they want to talk about? Uh, actually, it, it started that way, but it's it's sort of um, gotten. I think now because of the All Star Game, people want to talk about Granky. They want to talk about Kershaw. I've been getting a lot of questions about uh, the ownership and just the money involved and, like, why can't they win? So, so yeah, of course people want to know about Puig because he's the most uh, fascinating player in baseball probably. But luckily there's been some other questions too. Yeah, I think what's interesting about him that most people probably don't know is he's actually really intelligent, right? Like, he comes from yes. a, a good family with educated parents. He probably speaks uh-huh. better English than anybody thinks he does. But that's oh, maybe yeah. not how he comes off. And so I think that's something your book is really illustrated. Yeah, he um, when when Logan White went down there to scout him back in 2012, he, Logan couldn't get his computer working and like he couldn't configure it to like get online and all this stuff. And uh, and Puig just took it and basically like just went presto changeo and like overhauled the whole thing in like three seconds while they were sitting at dinner. So I mean, this is not some country bumpkin. Um, he's he's very smart and, and he's not like a like like. Some of the kids from the Dominican who never had a chance to go to school and are just totally, um, just, just so, so raw in that regard. No, he's he's smart. Uh, one, one, the poll quote from your book, as far as I'm concerned, it, it actually should be the subtitle of the book, as far as I'm concerned, is "Spin rates, not save totals." Uh, and that yeah. was in reference to the new front office not collecting, you know, rich, expensive right. old closers like Chris Perez and Brian Wilson. Because last year's LA bullpen was the most expensive bullpen in history, and it was really the main right. cause of that playoff loss. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and so really, I thought it was interesting because uh, Yimmy Garcia is a great example. So most he didn't really right. come up as a highly touted prospect. He first got mentioned uh, in a 2013 Baseball Prospectus article about spin rates. He probably would have been a better choice than any of those guys last year. Uh, oh, and sure. he never got the chance because, as you wrote, Ned Coletti was a little afraid of, of putting youth in the big spots. And I gather you you agree that that was kind of a big mistake. Oh, yeah. It was a huge mistake. And, and to the point where I had coaching staff bitching to me about it and saying, you know, we, 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 we have a GM who's afraid of youth. We, we, need, we need youth. They want to jock Peterson playing center. 
because even though they had five outfielders or whatever they had, they didn't have a true center fielder on their roster. They wanted they wanted youth in the bullpen. They felt like not only was it a, a, a sense of like, yeah, we, we want talent over experience. It's the experience that the player isn't good. But there was this idea that youth injected some energy and some life, like how Puig came up and, and um, you know, and, and gave the club life. I just remember talking with both Don Mattingly and, and Tim Wallach and, and Honeycutt and McGuire, and they all – they all played the game, and they all know, like, when you call a couple of rookies every year, like how the Cardinals do, and it's just like they're so excited. They show up early. They're, they're, they're like, ah, and it reminds you why you're playing, and they, and they, and they try hard. It's, it's, a good, it's usually a good, uh, good atmosphere. So you, so you just mentioned Don Mattingly, and I think in the book he kind of comes off as a bit of a sympathetic figure because he's really been pounded by people for years, but you really kind of learn just how difficult it was for the, for the last couple of years there. But it sounds like he's learning. I mean, that's the most surprising thing isn't necessarily that he survived the Coletti years, but that he survived the ownership transition. Uh, and it really yeah, sounds I, like he's learned a little bit about analytics and he's open to it. Yeah, I, I think, I think um, it's sort of playing out the way I thought it would, where the thing that I love about Don Mattingly is when he took over, when he was handed the job, he didn't have any any experience. He probably should not have been hired to run the Dodgers at that point when he hadn't managed anywhere ever. But that's like a trend we're seeing lately, right? With like Brad, the Brad Offmas, the the Matheny's, and just different different people who it seems like they're it's sort of trending that way with former players who don't have that experience. But that being said, this is a guy who sat down during the playoffs the year before he got hired and just with note cards and tried to figure out what he would do. This is a guy who's not too proud to, to ask people about stuff. I mean, I'm, I've been in scrums where people have criticized him and said, what about on base percentage? And what about this? And the bunching and this and that. And, and he'll, he'll, he'll go look at it. He'll read about it. He'll go to every website. He goes on fan graphs. He goes on, on baseball prospectus and baseball reference. And he's looking at that stuff. And, he wants to get better, and like that's all you can really ask for from anybody from in any job. He he really wants to be a sponge, and I know, and I've been critical of his late game moves, especially in 2013 when he did cost him a couple of playoff games. I, I wasn't apologizing for him then, and I wrote about how he screwed that up in the book. But look at Anaheim; you've got Mike Sosha down there who just like he just ran his GM out of town because he doesn't have any use for for analytics. And now you've got Mattingly talking about spin rates, like you said, saying, "Look, we want, we want young guys in here. We want to, we want to like, it would be stupid not to use all the information available to us." So I think it's sort of like he's just the right nexus of a guy who played and is really good and has the respect of the players that way, but who also will be really, really, um, can be really, really open and influenced by the nerds. I think that's like the, what you want in any manager. But does it feel like a lot of fans have been slow to pick up on that? Like, this team's pretty good. They're tied with St. Louis for the, the largest division lead at the break. Uh, right. And it, there was in the LA Times recently, they had, you know, letters to the editor kind of thing. And they were all firematically trade peak, right. but mostly firematically. One of the letters was great. It was, remove the geeks from the ivory tower, a.k.a. the front office, and replace them with bonafide baseball men. And obviously that's more for Friedman than Mattingly. But no, it still no. sounds like... Despite the fact that they're winning, even with 40% of the rotation injured and out for the year, people haven't quite bought into right. it in L.A. Well, I wonder what that person who wrote that letter, I wonder if that person understands that that was the front office that traded Matt Kemp for Grandall and pieces that brought in other other nice players and freed up a spot for Josh Peterson. You know, even if even, even if they hadn't gotten Grandall in, in that deal, uh, just freeing up the spot for Jock Peterson was huge, you know? Like... Not to mention, you've got Grandal, who's an all-star, who, who rakes and, and who's been 
I think, a great compliment to what A.J. Ellis can do, which is sort of help manage the staff and kind of be a, be a coach and, and play every five days or every every uh, twice out of five days or whatever. I think it's a really nice. I just think that they did that, a great trade there. They made some great trades. So fans have to look at that, too. That's not just – that's a baseball move. That's not a, a, a nerd thing or, like, a whatever. I mean, I don't know. I think that, that fans um, are upset and frustrated about, about the heartbreaking, bitter losses in the playoffs. And I think – that's really left a taste and people are just are just wanting it to be October already. And there's a sense I think I think if the Dodgers had gone out and steamrolled the Giants and the Cardinals already this year, then there wouldn't be that angst. But they got they got drubbed by the Cardinals and they got drubbed in San Francisco by the Giants too. So I think there's just this like sense of dread that people are just like, Yeah, we're we're gonna win the division but, you know, what about October? We're not beating that whole narrative about not beating good teams. I think that's just uh, Giants and Cardinals related angst. Yeah, and I, I don't think, think that's anyone, fair. But I don't think anybody actually cares about like, whoa, well, we beat the Mets last week and they were under 500 and now they're about to I mean, that's thing is so stupid. I think it's just the St. Louis, San Francisco yeah. like. But it's, but it's like, funny, they never go to that logical extension, which is that, yeah, the Cardinals would beat the Dodgers this year, but the Cardinals are beating everybody this year. I mean, they're the best yeah. team in baseball. This is not Dodger specific, it's Cardinal specific. Right. I mean, that's. Right. I, and I think nobody really wants to see the Cardinals again from a Dodger perspective no. in October, but it, that very well might be what happens just because the Cardinals aren't going anywhere until someone knocks them off. Yeah, and I think baseball is so – it can be so random. I mean, look at the World Series last year. And I think that makes the sport fantastic, but I also think it makes it brutal because there's just no way to control it. It's not like the NBA where, like, I mean, the Warriors, like, they were so good. And, like, everyone knew they were good and, like, they were the team to beat. And then you have LeBron, like – pretty much had an idea that those two teams were going to be, if not in the finals, then like in the semifinals, they were going to be in it. With baseball, I mean, we don't, we don't know. Like there are 10, 15 teams that could be in the World Series, and we just don't know at this point. Based on last year, the Royals, as you know, they bunted their way there. They had like, like mediocre starting pitchers and uh, an enough manager, and there they were, like in Game Seven of the World Series. So I, it's, it's hard. It's frustrating. You know, back to your book, really, like the the. The standout character of the book for me is not Puig, it's Zach Greinke, all right? And I already liked Zach Greinke, but just reading about him, yeah. he seems like the most fascinating human being in the world, and I think that actually makes it more interesting about the opt-out he's got coming up. I mean, he's been pretty clear that he's going to go where yeah. he gets the most money, but it also seems right. like he's pretty comfortable in L.A. So what's your take on yeah. that? He's, he's opting out most likely, but do you think he's leaving? Yeah. Well, it's weird because fans are, like, super bummed that he's opting out. My reaction to that is, like, you want your players to opt out into their contracts because that means that they've been living up to or exceeding those contracts, right? Like, you don't want a situation where you have a Brian Wilson like, of course I'm going to exercise my, my player option and stay because I know I'm not going to get anywhere near that. That means that your general manager made a bad deal. And so Granke, I mean, he's going to opt out because even if he's going to stay in L.A., he's going to opt out because he wants a new deal. He should be looking for Max Scherzer-type money. I mean, look at the numbers he's putting up and, what, he's like a year older than Scherzer? Scherzer's like thir- I'm sure they're 30 or 31. I think Greinke's a year older than Scherzer, so he should be in line for like a seven-year deal. I think he's like a Greg Maddox type where he can just control pitches and, and, and finesse and be phenomenal for the better part of the next decade. There are concerns about his elbow, obviously, because it's been barking forever. And I, I, I don't know what they're going to do if this new front office is going gonna, is gonna to try to extend him, but I would think he, he he's really comfortable here. It's clear he's happy. I mean, look at him. He's growing his hair out. He's walking up the careless slipper. He's just he's doing going to things like fan fest and taking selfies uh, with people, which is like unbelievable. Given this is a guy who like could not deal with crowds and hated dealing with crowds so much that he actually quit baseball for a while. I got a text from one of his former teammates who was just like 
he's really changed. I mean, but but positively in terms of like how comfortable he is. And I don't know. I think it'll be a mistake for him to leave personally. I think he knows he's comfortable and he knows he's happy. He and I feel like at every place he's been, he's gotten to the end of it and been like, okay, it's time for me to move on. And I, I wonder if like there's a part of him that thinks like, oh, maybe I should leave LA before before like it gets bad like every other place did. But I don't know. He wants to hit. He wants to be in the NL. He wants to be where in warm weather. He wants to play for a winner, and I think he loves his front office full of nerds. I mean, shoot, they might hire him when this is all over. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. He's also very competitive, though, so he's, he is going to want to go. If the Braves or another team that's competitive in the National League somehow come will come in, come swooping in, he, he, he could do that. But I would say 75% chance he stays in L.A. Yeah, I, I think you wrote even before he was a Dodger, uh, and he was scouting some of the minor leaguers, and he heard that the Dodgers had drafted Corey right. Seager, who was one of their top prospects, a shortstop, and he's right. like, I love that pick. And, you know, how many yeah. big leaguers would even know who that was, much less have an opinion no. on them? It's incredible. Oh, no. This is a, he's, a, he's I don't know, he's a, uh, a dirt rat, you know, like the gym rat equivalent. You know, he loves going to baseball games. He just, he'll go to a high school game if, if, he, if he can. I mean, he just, he, he loves, loves watching it all day, all night, and talking about it, thinking about it. And, yeah, he met with Stan Caston and told him, I, I, I'm really impressed by that pick. And, and Caston said it was the, the most interesting, best interview he'd ever had with a player. And because it was before they, right before they were about to sign him. And look at him, he's right. Corey Seager is currently the number one prospect in all of baseball and, and after, after the recent call-up. So he's really smart, that Zach Greinke. My, he might have a future in this game. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. You, you might think so. Um, final yeah. question for you. You just wrote a, a book called The Best Team Money Can Buy, mostly about the 2013 Dodgers. Uh, about 20 years ago, there was a book called The Worst Team Money Can Buy about the 1992 Mets, which are just a total yeah. disaster and implosion. From a writer's point of view, which situation was more fun to write about? Oh, my my situation was what about. <laughs> um, he, he, I mean, look, they, they, it's always. I got so lucky with the characters, and I think I've had people who are Dodger fans um, love it, but I've had people who are not Dodger fans say, oh, "Is this book for for if I don't love the if I'm a Dodger fan, can I still you know enjoy it?" And it's like, look, this, this is about characters, right? The book's not about me. It's not about a recap of every Dodger game. It's like. These people are, these players are fun and crazy and weird and, and bizarre and like, I don't know. I can't imagine a more fun group to write about than Zach Greinke and Yasiel Puig and Clayton Kershaw and, you know, Matt Kemp and Hanley Ramirez and just nuts, all of them. I love them. Uh, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I learned a few things and I, I think that's saying something considering that I've followed the team pretty closely over the last couple of years. Uh, the best yeah. team money can buy out now. Molly Knight, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Mike. With me today is Jay Jaffe from Sports Illustrated. Jay, thanks for being with us. Hey, good to be here, Mike. Jay, and I've been working with StatCast for a little while, and I feel like we've sold you short a little bit, because when this first came out last year, uh, you were tweeting or writing about how you wanted to call it OMGFX, and uh, I'm actually terribly disappointed that didn't stick. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, obviously, uh, I, was, I was flattered that uh, a lot of people seemed to really like that, including Rob Nyer, who used it several times and even credited me for, for coming up with it. So, yeah, I'm a little disappointed it didn't, that didn't stick, but uh, uh, we'll always have that as our, as our uh, uh, slang term or, or, or colloquial term uh, for it because I think that does a better job of describing uh, uh, what it is in terms of uh, you know, comparing it to the pitch effects and the field effects and all these other effects that uh, we've come to talk about. And I think it's interesting because, it, you know, it allows us to have maybe a little bit of a different look at some guys. So I want to start with uh, Miguel Sano, called up by the, the Twins not too long ago, and you wrote about him. 
He's only been in the big leagues for about two weeks, so we're obviously crazy small samples here. But since his debut, he's got a 99-mile-an-hour average exit velocity, which leads all of baseball. And when you wrote about him, you said that you actually saw him take batting practice before the 2013 Futures game at Citi Field. What was that like? Like, how clear was it right then that he had huge power? Oh, it was it was it was definitely it was definitely clear. I mean, this is a big boy. I mean, he's like six four two sixty now. Uh, very big guy, and the ball just makes that you know that sound of that uh, off the bat that just turns your head. And and uh, uh, gotten to see him uh, just briefly. I mean, I'm and I'm no scout, but uh, I you know I know when somebody's making making that noise uh, that I that I should watch for a few swings at least. And uh, uh, he was sending those balls out, and uh, uh, just a fun fun kid to watch. And uh, uh, certainly he's he's off to a good start at the major league level here, so uh, that's been really cool to see as well. Twins are 49-40. and 40. They'd be a wild card if the season ended today. Are you buying or selling? Uh, I actually selling. I think they're, they're, you look at the underlying indicators, they're a little bit over their heads, maybe uh, uh, in better shape than they were uh, at the start of the season when they got out to a, a hot start. But, you know, I mean, with Sano coming up, you know, the, this is this is a, a legitimate bat for the middle of their lineup there, and, and – uh, uh, maybe I'm selling them, uh, selling them a little too low because uh, uh, if you know if he's in the lineup and if they can get Byron Buxton back uh, later in the season from, from that injury, uh, then that lineup starts to take a little bit of a different look, and it's no longer just the uh, Danny Santana flash in the pans that uh, uh, I was uh, maybe uh, you know banking on at the beginning of the year, and it turned out to be some of the worst players in the major leagues. Um, but uh, I still think the pitching uh, needs some work there. Uh, but Sano is really a good sign for them. You know, another guy you wrote about recently at Sports Illustrated, Robinson Cano, uh, and he's also hitting the ball really hard. He's got the highest percentage of balls hit above 100 miles an hour at 6.3%, and that should mean something because the guys behind him, Ioannis Cespedes, Hanley Ramirez, Prince Fielder, Giancarlo Stanton, Jose Breu, I mean, there's some, some of the bigger bats in the game, but it really just hasn't been working out for him. I mean, he's been getting killed. He's, his walks are down, his strikeouts are up. You wrote recently, you know, about the stomach bug he has. Do you think it's just that, or do you think it's more than that for Cano? Well, it's interesting that you say that there was that many that many uh, uh, balls off his bat so hard. Uh, yeah, the, the results certainly haven't been there. I mean, he's off to the worst start of his career, and this is a guy who, when we watched him in New York, you know, could could go for months, you know, could go for a month with a 650 OPS and have you tear your hair about, you know, and then turn around and put up a 400, you know, average and a, and a thousand OPS over the course of a month, and, and his stats would be right back where they needed to be. So. You know, I think the the stomach thing is it seems to be real. It's obviously having an impact on his nutrition and the rest of his training and conditioning, and probably you know some psychological factors. But you know, if the bat is if the ball is really coming off his bat that well, that you know, I have to assume that sooner or later those hits are going to fall in, uh, and his offense will trend upwards, and and hopefully uh, the Mariners can get the health stuff sorted out that he so he can go back to being. Uh, the ball player that he was, maybe not necessarily uh, the 30 homer hitter that he was in New York because Safeco Field is a much harder place to hit, but uh, he was still a very productive player last year, uh, just about on par with uh, uh, his final year in the Bronx once you uh, adjust for ballpark. Let's get into the Dodgers real quick, and the Dodgers are kicking off the second half against the Nationals on Friday in the MLB Network Showcase Game of the Week. Jimmy Rollins versus Corey Seager at shortstop. You know, Rollins has really been struggling all year long. Seager's probably the best remaining prospect in the minors. How long do you wait until you make that move? I think you probably give it till the end of July here. Um, you know, Rollins obviously hasn't quite worked out, but there's there's a there's going to be a cost in the clubhouse if the, if the Dodgers were to uh, uh, brush him aside. And if you're bringing up Corey Seager to play shortstop in the heat of a pennant race, uh, you know you got to have some fallback options. And if you if you have to get rid of uh, Rollins in order to do that, you've got uh, Kike Hernandez uh, as the backup, and that's uh, uh, a shaky situation. I don't know if the Dodgers are, are that committed to doing that. 
uh, you know, as, as a means of uh, disrupting the clubhouse as well as uh, uh, trying to infuse the lineup. I mean, Seager has not really uh, blown people away at AAA yet the way he was doing so at AA. Uh, he's held his own, but he's definitely ridden the roller coaster. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what they do. I think you really want to see him go on a hot streak if, if you're going to call him up, uh, you know, a hot streak before he, before he leaves Oklahoma City, before you call him up, uh, just so he's got that confidence coming to the major leagues. And I think we all agree that the Dodgers are definitely going to get a starting pitcher before July 31st, but they're not going to trade Seager. They're not going to trade uh, Julio Urias. They're not going to trade Jock Peterson. Do you think the unwillingness to trade those top th- two or three prospects is really going to make it hard for them to get that good pitcher? I think it'll make it harder, but you know I think that they've probably got some options lower in the system that, that, that they can that they can move around. Uh, certainly, when you've got a new regime that's been taking stock of what the old regime was uh, stockpiling, you have uh, uh, situations uh, you know where where maybe uh, they're not as committed to certain guys that were high draft picks. Obviously, we saw Chris Reed traded today. Uh, you know there may be other guys in the system who, with uh, more upside than that who who might get moved out. Um, you know, so I imagine they can do it, but I also think that maybe they they don't need to aim for let's say Johnny Cueto or, or Cole Hamels. That they may be able to uh, uh, look at a more you know a, just an innings eating guy like Mike Leake, uh, ending free agent, somebody who uh, really if he just gives them six innings to start you know for the rest of the season uh, would really solve a lot of their 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 problems in terms of uh, uh, you know the the Carlos Frias, Mike Bolsinger guys who just uh, are struggling to get through five. Oh, so you mentioned the new regime. So in retrospect, the Matt Kemp trade, great trade or greatest trade? <laughs> uh, really a great trade. I mean, you know, I, I feel for Kemp, who really seems to be struggling in, in San Diego, uh, although uh, in better shape than he was uh, uh, really, uh, you know, coming into uh, June or July. Uh, but, uh, yes, Monty Grandal has worked out great. He seems to have turned a page, uh, you know, in terms of uh, his relationship with the pitching staff, just some of the stuff that was said about him in San Diego, and some of the, w- the way that his teammates uh, uh, related to him there versus uh, how he's gotten on in, in L.A. and how his pitch framing has really uh, uh, been a big, uh, you know, a key element for the Dodgers relative to uh, A.J. Ellis' uh, subpar framing. It's been just a deal that's worked out so well for them. Obviously, an opening up the spot for Jock Peterson has been uh, a boon as well. How do you feel now about the, the D. Gordon trade? Because obviously when Gordon got off to that start where he's hitting like 410 for the first six weeks, people were killing the Dodgers for it. But he's actually now gotten identical just about weighted runs created plus to Howie Kendrick. Uh, and the Dodgers also obviously got Hatcher and Barnes and Kike Hernandez. How does that look to you now, both for the present and going forward? I think it was the right move, especially when you look at you know what, where the Dodgers uh, uh, see themselves shaping their infield down the road. I mean, Gordon had a dreadful second half where he wasn't walking. I'm happy to see him off to a better start, uh, you know, in Miami, uh, even if it hasn't quite held up. He does seem to have made some advances both with the, with the you know, his discipline and, as well as his defense. Uh, it's a good player. He made the all-star team again. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to play because of uh, uh, the dislocated thumb he suffered over the weekend. But uh, the Dodgers got back a boatload, and I know Chris Hatcher has been kind of a target for uh, some of the frustrations that fans have with the bullpen. But, uh, you know, uh, the, the reports have heard on uh, – uh, Austin Barnes have been good, and uh, who's the other guy in the trade? Uh, they got uh, oh, uh, Kike Hernandez. Uh, oh yeah, obviously Kike Hernandez, and, and then uh, the, the uh, Andrew Heaney, who they who they uh, uh, turned into Kendrick, uh, flipped, yeah. flipped and got and got Kendrick. I really like Howie Kendrick. I know the numbers don't support the idea that he's having a great year right now, uh, but I, you know he's a guy who I've always liked, and I think he's a, an excellent stopgap on that team. Uh, pretty good defender, even if the metrics don't show it this year. Uh, pretty good hitter, not a ton of power, but uh, 
consistently good at bats. So I think that deal on the whole was a real win for the Dodgers. Jay, we'll finish you up with a quick lightning round. I've got a couple names here. Tell me where they're going to be playing on August 1st. Cole Hamels. Philadelphia. Really? Not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I think that the Phillies are going to, you know, this, this regime change just, you know, they haven't fully taken stock yet. I think that they're going to, um, they're going to realize that their options are better if they can trade him, you know, not necessarily to teams who are, that are in contention right now, but uh, uh, I can see them holding on to him. Very interesting. Johnny Cueto. Houston. Houston. I agree with that one. I think, I think they're or Toronto, but yeah, Houston makes a lot of yeah, sense. Both, both, that was probably my other answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ben Zobrist. Ben Zobrist. Uh, Nationals. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then the last one, Justin Upton. Justin Upton. Hmm. Uh, let me think about that. Um, I know Mets fans want you to say Mets, but I don't. I don't yeah, feel the Mets there. I mean, it, he makes so much sense for the Mets, it's, but it's 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 just not going to happen. I'm gonna. Oh boy. You know what I, I like him for? I like him for the Royals. You know, because uh, Gordon's hurt. Rios hasn't that's been very actually, good. That's actually a good. That's actually a good. A, a, a good fit for him and for them. I mean, that would be uh, something. You know, because especially when you look at what Alex Rios has done. Uh, uh, in right field, and you know, even if they get Gordon back uh, uh, and productive, they need another bat in that lineup. I think so. I mean, that's actually a good fit. I, I like that idea. Jay, thanks so much for your time. You want to tell us real quick about uh, a book on the Hall of Fame you're writing? That's right. Uh, I'm working on a book called The Cooperstown Casebook. Uh, it's about my Jaws system, uh, uh, which is uh, based on wins above replacement and the uh, you know comparing Hall of Fame candidates to uh, the players who are already in. Uh, I am doing this for Thomas Dunn Publishers uh, right now. The uh, intended release is, is fall 2016, although right we're in discussions for uh, uh, possibly moving that date uh, in either direction, uh, depending on what kind of lead time the publisher wants here. So, uh, But I'm working hard on it and uh, uh, hope to be done with it uh, sometime by the end of the year. Excellent. Jay, thanks so much. Jay Jaffe, uh, read him at Sports Illustrated. Follow him at Jay underscore Jaffe for everything you need on beer and baseball and occasionally uh, puppies. Jay, thanks so much. Hey, thanks. Thank you, Mike. Take care. This has been the MLB.com StackCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Catch you next time.